Welcome to New in Nashville. This is your host, Elam Freeman. I'm a commercial real estate broker and yoga instructor based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Nashville native who has spent time living in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. I have also traveled to all 50 states and visited nearly every U.S. metropolitan city bigger than Nashville. I am crazy about Nashville's growth and want natives, newcomers, and tourists to have the knowledge they need to keep up with our city's pace. In our March episode, we talk with Libby Calloway, founder of The Calloway. In the interview, we discuss Libby's brand and work. She gives us insight into why she and others are choosing Nashville. Furthermore, we discuss her unique relationships in the fashion industry and how she has leveraged her past experiences with well-known fashion brands to consult with clients on a national level. Last but not least, Livy gives advice on branching out on your own and getting involved with Nashville's creative scene. Be sure to follow Libby and her whereabouts at the Callaway and at Libby Callaway 1970 on Instagram. Today we are with Libby Callaway with the Callaway. I'm so excited to invite Libby onto the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Um, so we're just going to dive right into kind of talking about your life story, what brought you to Nashville, what you do on a day-to-day basis, and advice that you can give to other entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, so to start out, how did you get from Cleveland, Tennessee, to New York, to East Nashville? And do you ever go back to Cleveland, and what caused you to leave? Okay, so I got to New York from Cleveland by sheer will. <laughs> I, I always knew that I wanted to live in New York at some point. I was a li- I was obsessed with New York City when I was a kid. I used to read the encyclopedia entry, you know, in the seventies. Like there were, we had this big encyclopedia set, and I would read New York City's entry all the time. I was obsessed with it, and I've always been a writer. I've been like that's kind of my ace in the hole in terms of what I do. And, um, you know, knowing that the center of media internationally is New York, it was always my goal to figure out how to work up there. But I went to, um, I went to a women's college in Virginia for two and a half years and I transferred to UTK in Knoxville and graduated with a degree in English, but wrote the whole time for different publications, you know, local publications, and then ended up getting a job at my hometown newspaper. So I was an editor there for a couple of years and um, then started applying to grad school in New York. So I ended up going to NYU and getting my master's in a concentration called cultural criticism, um, which was in the journalism school, but it was for people who wanted to write about culture and the arts. So it was really perfect. And when I moved to New York, I thought I was going to write about rock and roll. I thought I was going to be a rock critic. And that's always been my, like, fashion for fashion's sake has never really been my thing, you know? It's like I've always been interested in what causes people to wear certain things and what, you know, the, the movements that, that are defined by how people dress or, you know, how people use clothes to define what they stand for. So that's always been really interesting to me. And um, after grad school, I got a job at the New York Post, which was being a girl from a small town in East Tennessee. You know, I had heard about it, but I had no idea, like, what that really meant to work at an infamous tabloid, you know? And, like, to be in the middle of those tabloid wars, like, in, the, in New York City, you have the Daily News and the New York Post and 
they're constantly battling each other for prominence. So it was really, really fun and interesting. And um, they didn't have a fashion editor when I started. And I told them they needed one eventually. And they made me the fashion editor. And I got to do amazing things. I got to... You know, I was front row at all the fashion weeks, and I went to the Oscars and the Grammys and the Met Ball and did all those fancy things, but it just didn't make me happy. And um, in 2004, I guess it was fall of 2003, I just had literally a lightning bolt. Like, I was like, I don't want to be here. And I got a job. I went online to (laughs) (laughs) journalismjobs.com and my AOL (laughs) dial-up in my apartment and um, and found a job at the Tennessee Inn, which was perfect. So I knew I wanted to come to Nashville because I have a lot of friends here who had moved here after college and who worked in the music industry or, you know, adjacent um, creative industries. And I knew that if journalism ever failed me, you know, if I decided I didn't want to work in journalism anymore, that I would have an opportunity to do something in the entertainment industry. And... Um, so when I, you know, I came back and um, did that, I guess I can go further into that in a minute, but yeah. yeah. Did that answer some of your question yeah, there? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. No, well, and I love kind of the emphasis behind what you do, what you do, that's more the sociology side. Yes. And, um, more than a, just the craft in itself. Yeah. And how people relate with fashion, with mm-hmm. art with business and yeah that's a really um I think there's probably more people out there that just don't know how that feel that way about whatever it is they do mm-hmm. but they just maybe don't know how to voice it so that's a really yeah. neat observation I know I always and I don't like to ghettoize fashion in terms of putting it in that shiny pink glossy box mm-hmm. you know like my friends in New York who are working in fashion are really smart strong business women and like I had this group of incredible people that I was really, Carrie Diamond being one of uh-huh. them, that I was really lucky to fall into. And, um, you know, they're still some of my best friends and they're at the top of their field. And they're not frivolous women, they're serious women. And just happen to work in an industry that is marked by lipstick and hemlines. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, but I always, yeah, like I said, I'm really interested in the sociology of it. It's, what did I have to call myself one time? Margaret Mead and Manolo's. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> <laughs> I like alliteration. Yeah. I've worked with the New York Post. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, and tell us a little bit more about your career trajectory. What path did you take to open your own business? And what ultimately caused you to take the leap to entrepreneurship? Gosh, you know, it's so funny. I, um, I never thought about myself as an entrepreneur, honestly, until last year when somebody pointed it out to me. I'm like, oh, I am an entrepreneur. I am a business <laughs> entrepreneur. Because I've always thought of myself, talk about ghettoization, I've always thought of myself as like a, a creative, an artist, like in, you know, that I'm a writer. And, um, but I got to tell you, I love the business side of it. It's really fun. And math is never my strong suit, but like, Working on the numbers and working with my accountant and figuring out bookkeeping, it is really fun. And it's like a big, big mystery every day to solve that. But but I got here, um, I don't think I ever planned to start the Callaway. It just really happened. I, when I moved, so I moved to New York, I'm sorry, I moved from New York to Nashville in 2004. I worked at the Tennessee for about a year and a half. 
And then I went freelance and like I had a column in Glamour magazine. Um, and that really, that was my first indication that there was interest outside of these media centers on the each coast, that there were people who cared about what was happening in the flyover states, as they're called. And so I knew Cindy Levy, who was the editor at Glamour. We had worked together um, over the years, and she asked me to do a column because I wasn't in New York, which I thought was really interesting. So I think I started to realize my value in having those New York contacts and that kind of savvy that you get by, by working in media up there and being here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to, I've still been able to use that. I still use it. It's why I'm able to do what I do. Um, but I, so I worked as a stylist for several years and at the same time wrote and sold vintage clothes. So I went through this phase of like, I guess six or seven years where I just did a lot of different things. Like I've always had lots of different interests going on juggling lots of things. And in doing that, it was actually the best education for starting this business because working as a journalist, when I first got here, I met a lot of local leaders and a lot of other writers and all the people in media. I've written for every publication in this town and several of them that aren't around anymore. (laughs) So um, I know all those people and I know the other writers, I know the photographers. And when I worked as a stylist, I got to know all the retailers and I got to know directors and photographers and people at record labels. And so I have these ends at Music Row that I wouldn't have had had I not been a stylist, which is really interesting. And then... Everything really changed when, um, and I give this company also credit for kind of kickstarting the interest in modern fashion, the modern fashion movement in Nashville. But when Imogene and Willie opened 10 years ago, I, um, it's funny, the day they opened, like five people called me. They're like, you've got to go into this store. <laughs> um, and I went over and I met Carrie and Matt, the owners. And I think we all immediately knew that I was going to be a part of it in some way. And um, Carrie basically told me, she was like, just figure out what you want to do for us. And so I said, I want to create a blog for you. I want to do content creation. So I started doing a blog for them called Our Voice, which, to be totally honest with you, the Callaway Report, which is my blog now, is an iteration of that. It's like an evolution of what I was doing at um, at Imogene, because what we were doing is we were finding people, interesting people in the Imogene and Willie orbit, and talking about aspects of their lives that maybe weren't explored. Mm. So, you know, I got the idea from this Jack White profile I read in The Believer in the early 2000s, and it did not talk about music. It only talked about upholstery. That's what he did before he played music. And I'm like, God, that is genius. Yeah, That is a genius move to talk to somebody who's so famous for one thing about this other aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. So that was what we did for them. It was really fun. But at the same time, I was getting them in magazines because I have all these friends who are, you know, editors-in-chiefs and executive editors at beauty magazines, fashion magazines, and lifestyle magazines. So Carrie was like, okay, so you're getting us on Vogue.com and the New York Times. Why don't you do our PR? And I got kind of snobby about it. It was like, (laughs) because I don't do PR. I'm a journalist. I'm serious. (laughs) So um, and I was like, no, maybe I do. And I started thinking about PR and marketing in a different way, but you know, not church and state between journalism and PR, but as another way of telling a story and another way of engaging people. So 
it's just different means to the same end, which is getting people excited about a concept or a product or people. And um, when I started thinking about it that way, everything changed. And after I left Imogene, I consulted for several little brands around here and started working with Billy Reed and created, helped them with their website overhaul. So Billy Reed is a designer in Northern Alabama. And Billy and I have known each other since the early 2000s. I met him at the Council of Fashion Designers Awards in 2001 when he won his first CFDA award. So we had this long-standing relationship. It felt really natural. And I did a lot of the same stuff that, I don't want to say I keep on reinventing the wheel, but I kind of keep on reinventing the wheel because the wheel is really awesome. (laughs) The wheel is really helpful, just this whole storytelling process, like applying that concept of talking about the people in the orbit of these brands and figuring out how to use that to tell the brand story. So I created a blog for Billy Reed and did content for them for about a year and a half before I went in-house. And that gave me the opportunity to move back to New York and um, work in-house with Billy Reed for about a year as their marketing director. And when that, when they closed the office up there, I moved back to Nashville and gave myself six months to figure out what I wanted to do. And during that time, figured out I needed an umbrella, I needed a name, I needed a business. So the Cali grew out of that. Um, it was a way to do, you know, my three verticals are content, which is anything like creating the blog, create, doing website creation, um, um, doing, um, you know, writing a bio, and then um, curation, which is just another C word for strategy, working on marketing strategies with people, and then communications, which is straightforward PR. And um, yeah, so we've, you know, those verticals, honestly, we're starting to think about redefining them because what we do has become so different. It's really evolved from what it originally started out as, which has been the fun of growing this business, yeah. of being an entrepreneur. Right. That's awesome. And Sorry, that was a lot of information. No, no, I love it. <laughs> so so much uh, good stuff in there. I mean, I feel like what you're talking about, reinventing the wheel, and I think there is a lot of opportunity for that in Nashville, and it's not doesn't mean that it's not unique because mm-hmm. yeah. if you're a creative or even if you're a business, so much of your brand is your personality and your relationships and right. that can never be reinvented by anyone else. Totally. You know, that is a hundred percent unique. But I think if you have an eye for what's going on in other markets, what's trending around the country, mm-hmm. how people are interacting with each other, and mm-hmm. you may you have to be okay, I think, in Nashville with sometimes feeling like the black sheep. At uh-huh. times, because yeah. you probably will be the first to bring up an idea that's going to be, some people may feel like is going against the grain, mm-hmm. um, but if you just stick to that with confidence mm-hmm. and you really have relationships to kind of bounce things off of in other markets around the country, I think that is, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. I so. agree. And it's really interesting to see how much digital media has changed and social media has changed how reactive we are to things happening. You know, how Nashvillians are able to evolve a lot quicker than they used to be able to. Right. Um, I remember when, so when I moved here, it was so interesting and I'm still identified with New York so closely, and which is amazing because I am from a small town in East Tennessee. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was a really defining time in my career. And But when I moved here and people would hear that I've moved to Nashville from New York, 
they would immediately apologize for Nashville not being New York. And I'm like, why the fuck do you think I moved here? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not New York. Right. You know, it's like there's a very specific reason that I moved to Nashville, and that's because it's not New York City. Yeah. And it has this awesome identity. But what I found was really interesting is Nashvillians kind of have this inferiority complex Mm -hmm. about, or did have this inferiority complex about not being New York or L.A., but that's changed Mm -hmm. That changed um, in about 10 years ago, honestly. And it changed with all these things that have, you know, everything to do with culture, everything to do with rock and roll moving here, with Third Man Records is 10 years old this year. Um, you know, the Black Keys moving here, the Kings of Leon, I'm a Gina Willie opening. There were all these things that were happening kind of in popular culture that I think made people... This is my theory, you know, there's a lot of different theories. There's also metro government and like all these different things that happened internally that were also supporting the growth here. But I think in terms of perception that it was 10 years ago when things started to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's exciting. And I think if the intentionality between, you know, whoever it was who was responsible for that, which I think it's a combination of people, is really starting to pay off. I mean, if you are pro-growth for the city, which I am, and Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing, like the national attention. I mean, Amazon, iTunes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and that wouldn't have happened had all this PR not happened. Yeah, exactly. All this talk about what's happening in Nashville. Right. So, like, popular culture has had a huge... the TV show Nashville. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the legacy of Nashville and the, um, you know, the um, what is the word I'm looking for? Just like the the mystery kind of surrounding it has really been a boon to the growth here. I think. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. And I think there's just so many different types of people here, and mm-hmm. you can, you know, I always think about if people come here for a weekend and they just spend their time in one neighborhood, they can have such a different view of Nashville than they would if they spent it in a neighborhood five minutes away. Totally, totally. And it's that's so interesting, I think. It reminds me, I compare it to, like when I'm talking to people from Los Angeles, I always say East Nashville is the Silver Lake of of Nashville. (laughs) Or it's the East Village of the Lower East Side of, of Nashville. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like, it is like, it's a very distinct difference between where we are in, you know, the heart of East Nashville to the heart of Bellmead or the heart of Nolensville Pike or the heart of, you know, the nations. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think, you know, I'm sure there's people in LA, for instance, feel the same divide in my head. It's more of a melting pot there of like, you know, but I think it may be just even geographically Silver Lake is a lot further from Beverly Hills. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. East Nashville is even from, you know, Bellmead or at least driving time to get there. Yeah. And so it seems, I think sometimes I just have this desire and I don't know how to do it, but to like break down the stigmas and break down the oh, barriers yeah. between all these awesome groups of people yes. in Nashville and the fact that, you know, I can have a friend and East and a friend in Green Hills that look like the exact same on paper from yeah. a, you have, you know, same job, same, uh, you know, comparable degree and all of these things. You have two kids and, but yeah, they wouldn't talk to each other because of these areas of town or the perception of the areas the of social town. codes yeah exactly you know, it, it's it's really it's very much like high school yeah you know that's what you you learn is like life is like high school unfortunately right. it never <laughs> ends yeah but um i think that's something that as a company the callaway 
we think very consciously mm-hmm. about like the events we have, about making them broad. And I know I work really hard to make sure that West Nashville is always incorporated into things we're doing mm-hmm. and have made an effort over the last couple of years to really foster relationships with leaders, um, you know, from that community. And, like, I'm joining the Downtown Rotary Club um, through my friend, you know, uh, Sylvia, who has taken me under her wing and been a wonderful leader and has, you know, encouraged me to engage more with the business community, which has been Sylvia Rappaport, Uh who's the mom of Ben and... um, been a Max Goldberg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So cool. she's been like my fairy godmother and has made some great introductions. And it's funny, I, I had lunch with her last year. I'm like, I really want to know more about West Nashville. I want to integrate more. And she was like, got two words for you, show up. Yeah. And that's it. Right. You know? And I think that that's really good advice. It's like, if you want to participate in this community, if you show up, you will be invited to be a part of it yeah that's awesome and I think that is true throughout Nashville that it's like the more I talk to people who are moving here from Brooklyn or you know somewhere in LA and I ask them why like why Nashville I mean Mm -hmm. I'm from here originally and but spent time away and came back but I'm sure that you know there was some lace of me being from here and having roots here that Mm -hmm. pull me back in addition to everything else that's happening in Nashville but like just people that have no ties that kind of up and come here and I just I know so I'm I'm very fascinated by that person and so many people say it's such a collaborative Mm. like it's such a collaborative environment Mm -hmm. and I think I hear that a lot from creatives but not just creatives I also hear it from people in business and people moving here and wanting to you know have some more um, freedom or flexibility to be mm-hmm. entrepreneurs where they just because of really the cost of living in those other places totally. and they just find it so easy to integrate and I think yeah. as long as you're willing to you know step out there and put yourself in the middle of the people that you want to be around or do business with then mm-hmm. um, for I've found just from others that I've talked to more often than not, it's people are going to be very receptive. Oh, totally, totally. And it's really interesting, that whole idea of being a collaborative community and you hearing that from creatives. It's like, I think that I've identified one area of growth that I'm really focusing on right now and joining the Rotary Club is a big mm-hmm. part of this. Um, all these businesses coming, like Alliance Bernstein and Amazon and all the the businesses that are transferring, you know, their main offices here over the next five or so years, they need to, it is in their best interest in this climate to integrate into the creative community in some kind of thoughtful way. So I am like whoring ourselves out right now to them (laughs) as cultural concierges, you know, it's, I was calling it local culture Sherpas, but that's really hard to say. And Katie was like, it's a concierge service. I'm like, you're right. It's a concierge service. (laughs) So, um, you know, so I'm taking like meetings with those. We're trying to get into Amazon. Amazon is hard to crack, but, um, with some of those bigger companies and saying, okay, so if you want to 
have a meaningful relationship with the creative community here, we know how to do it. Yeah. And let us make these introductions for you and let us have events for you and tell you some, you've got some marketing dollars. These are the things you should underwrite that are going to really make a difference. Right. So I think that that's a big area of growth that we're concentrating on right now, which I did not see coming down the pike. Yeah. And that's one of the really exciting things about being this small and this new and, nim- and being able to be that nimble. Right. It's like, you know, it's a long way from writing a bio. Right. It's totally different, but it still lives in the same house. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so much opportunity there because you're not pitching to someone who owns a generation or owns a business that's been here for three generations. Yeah. That has their loyal and established relationships. And it's not that they wouldn't want to work together, but they already have, you know, someone that they've been working with for so long. And I think where you, these big companies that are coming, like Nashville's kind of an open slate to them. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of opportunity, and especially for someone that understands the markets that they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you can have a kind of competitive advantage. Oh, totally, so. totally, yeah. And it all goes back to, and this is something that is a theme that continues to to show itself in my life, that it's all based on relationships. Mm-hmm. It's all about who you know and the work you've done with them and making an impression and, you know, being nice mm-hmm. and just right. building those relationships has been how I've gotten everywhere in my career. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so your website lists a host of services. Can you describe examples of doing the following uh, community immersion in Nashville, which mm-hmm. maybe what you were just describing. Yeah, when I was just, you just, I just, or cultural like, concierge. Yeah, see what I said before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then market evaluation. Market evaluation is a lot, it's actually a lot of that same thing. Uh-huh. It's being able to come in and say that this is what, and being able to talk in an educated way about not just what's happening in the art community or in the fashion community, but what's happening in the business community. Like I require that everybody on the team read the Nashville Business Journal. You know, I get up in the morning before I do anything, I read the New York Times and I read the Tennessean. And we we are constantly getting updates from the Nashville Post. And like the business news is as important to us as what's happening, you know, what what designs are trending. Right. Actually, it's more important to us than that. So being able, and just being able to tell our clients, like, this is what you can expect from retail in Nashville based on these factors. So being able to just speak in an educated way about, you know, um, even we have a lot of people who want to, brands that are considering opening stores here and it's like okay well something you should think about is the transit situation like if you're you want to move into this random area of town it's like well nobody can get there right nobody's going there so being able to talk about that and being able to speak about it in an educated way is really important yeah and then um retail curation retail curation that is a perfect encapsulation of that is the work I did for Keep Shop mm-hmm. in Noel, the downtown hotel. Like that is remains like the one of the definitive jobs of my career is working with Noel and my dear friend Nick Dryden, the architect who you should talk to for this yes. podcast. Actually, yeah, um, got me involved, and I he's probably really sick of me like slobbering all over him about it, but like he really changed my life in terms of bringing me in um, to this 
to this project. And I learned a lot about hospitality. Um, you know, I ended up doing local and national PR for the hotel as it opened. Um, I curate the store, which is what we were talking about with local designers. That's the focus. And um, then we also produce a newspaper for them three times a year. So that one property has allowed me to really flex three different muscles and more. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really fun to take people in there and take pride in the fact that my favorite fact about it is there were 55 local makers, artists, or um, designers involved in the creation of that place. So it gave, it changed a lot of people's careers. Like being able to get um, commissions from that hotel was really important to people. Yeah. So it really did change our community. That's amazing. I feel like Nashville Business Journal or someone should do a whole piece on that. Totally. Yes. I believe that Nashville Business Journal, (laughs) you should do (laughs) Here at now. Right. (laughs) I mean, just because I do, and I've heard that just by talking to several people that were involved, but I don't think that you, people walk in and they're like, this place is amazing. Yeah. Um, I feel like I go at least once a week, if not more, and it's not to stay there. <laughs> oh, awesome. Good. So, well, but, that's, that's what by design. Yeah. And that, that was the hope. It's like, even if you never stay there, right. it's like you still should feel like it's a gathering place. And and one of the cool things about it is, and it's it's got ties to that West Nashville thing mm-hmm. we're talking about too, the Knoll family. It originally was Knoll Place, N-O-E-L. The Knolls still live in Belmead, yeah. and they come to our events, yeah. and they're very involved. And, like, you know, they remember as kids going there. It was their grandfather's hotel. yeah. And that's really cool to have that legacy. And like one of the Noel granddaughters got married this fall and the hotel did a big, you know, big, like rolled out the red carpet for her and yeah. made her feel really comfortable. So it was, it's cool to be able to do that. That's really awesome. Yeah, such a, a neat story to be told. And just it goes back to, I always like to talk about how intentionality and thoughtfulness and a project, whether it's development of a neighborhood or just development of a property, but whatever that is, like I'm sure that that they a lot of times felt like they were kind of going that extra mile. Oh yeah, and it took more upfront, but look how it's paid off. Oh my god, so true. Listen, it wasn't easy. Yeah, it's I'm like sure. that's a lot of people. Yeah. to be involved, and it was. I'm not going to say it wasn't chaotic. It was chaotic, especially, you know, I'm just speaking just from the retail side, bringing all these people together and making those commissions and making it cohesive. Um, It's hard, but it's worth it because it's different. And the best things are hard. Exactly. Usually. Sometimes they're easy too, and it's awesome when that happens. Right. But but it's very rare. It's usually a surprise. Yeah, it's very rare. (laughs) Um, and then the last one I want to ask you about is trend tracking and what that looks like. Yeah, a lot of that is, you know, this is all, and th- this is something we're refining the terminology on the website because there is a lot of, um, my team will tell you I like to, to speak in Venn diagrams. I'm like, well, in the Venn diagram of that, there's a lot of overlap between, but there's a lot of overlap between, you know, market evaluation to and trend tracking. Um, but I think that comes down to, being able to say to, like, we've got a new client coming in that is interested in retail curation. It's like, okay, well, the trend in Nashville for retail is to go local and to think thoughtfully about integrating these brands into what you're doing. So to be able to say, 
this is what's happening on a national level and this is how it applies to a local level is important. So I think it's just keeping up with, you know, what's happening, not just here, but um, on the national and international level. Right, absolutely. I identify with that so much and just making that translation for people Yeah, because it can be tough because Nashville is so unique and like you said, it is kind of a mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're living in the mystery, you are you just have a different angle. And so kind of working with, you know, out of market to come into market and viewing all different sides of it. And how do you crack that mystery to make someone successful? Yeah. Yeah. It's a neat. It's a puzzle. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. Um, What are some of the best business development tactics that you have and how do you go about procuring new clients? It all comes down to being aware of what's happening around you, both of those things, and relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about relationships. Yeah. And like sometimes, um, you know, and it's relationships, not just mine, but also the teams. Yeah. Like there's um, a company in town that Katie is, um, Katie Smith is really close to. She knows the owner. And like I read that they were having a big event this fall. And I'm like, dude, talk to, you know, talk to them and see if we can get in on that. Yeah. So it comes down to, like being on a topical level of realizing what's happening around you and then figuring out how what our relationship to that project is and and what we can offer it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's it is kind of like starting at the back and or starting at the front and moving back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get a lot of business leads now from the Nashville Business Journal or the Tennessean. Like, I'll find out about a new restaurant opening and be like, who's doing their PR? You know? <laughs> let's figure this yeah. out. Do they have it? Let's, let's go right. after that. Um, or, you know, I think that um, we've been really lucky, and this has been something that's also evolved in a way that I didn't expect that's been a lot of fun, Um just because of our relationships to the New York luxury scene. Like when Hermes wanted to come to town two years ago to do an event, they called me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, knowing my ties to New York and they read about me in a story in business of fashion. And so that kind of, that one event was the, you know, the, the av- started the avalanche that became opening Restoration Hardware, which was a Katie relationship that, that she brought in. And based on our experience doing Hermes, they trusted us mm-hmm. to throw a party for 1,600 people. Yeah. So it, it ended up being great. It was terrific. The team, my team is so awesome. And um, it was terrific. And so that led to Cartier. Now, hopefully Cartier will lead to other things. So we've kind of become the luxury go-to people. Not kind of. We have become the luxury go-to people. So like when Vogue comes to town, they call us. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot of fun to do that, to work with those people. That's awesome. Yeah. And how do you go about finding your talent for your team? How does that come about? It is, you know, we are hiring right now. (laughs) And we got 40 resumes from just posting on Instagram. That's awesome. And I think that it's a hard market really to find people. I'm so lucky. So Katie came to me from, um, speaking of business of fashion again, Lauren Sherman, who's an editor, a writer there, um, who's a friend of both of ours introduced us when Katie left New York, she was working for a high end luxury PR company there, Carla Otto. And, um, of course I knew their reputation very well. And so she moved to town and was looking for work. And at first I was trying to help her get a job. 
And then I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why am I helping her get a job? (laughs) Let's figure out how to make your first hire, Callaway. So that was about, I met her late summer, the the year I opened. And um, she started doing freelance for me and then came on full time that next April. So she was my first hire. And then she brought in Corey, who was worked for a friend of hers in New York and who also had no ties to Nashville, but was just really enamored of the city. Yeah. And then our next hire did come from like a call for um, call for resumes, and she was a junior assistant. Left us a couple of weeks ago, but our fourth hire, India, um, India Mayer, is a Nashville native who was working for another agency and reached out for an informational interview because she liked what we did, and we were like, oh, we love her. So awesome. yeah, so sometimes they fall in your lap, and other times it's. Um, you know, this, this call for resumes has been really great. Right. No, that's great. And what a, I don't know, I feel like that's the first time I've heard someone say, you know, we got 40 resumes from Instagram and that just tells the way of the future. But also I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they were asking, what's your favorite? It's called Red Archer actually. It's Mm -hmm. a um, retail Kind of the business of retail. It was some executives that were at Target broke off. So it's headquartered in Minneapolis. Really interesting. Okay. I would love to know more about that. Yeah. Um, But they, at the end of their podcast, they always ask people, do these round of questions. How millennial are you? (laughs) (laughs) One of the questions is, what's your favorite social media platform? Yeah. And so I was saying Instagram because they were like, it's the perfect integration between my personal and professional life and you know so much of what you do I think is an integration of that and Mm. so to have people that's really probably going to be a more targeted way to find some a good fit you know versus Zillow or something yeah exactly (laughs) even LinkedIn is probably just more of like a broad net that you know you'll probably weed through a lot of people that just wouldn't be a culture fit because they don't already know through your feed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like I think that you can find out a lot about like, you know, our clients obviously, but if you read it closely, you find out a lot about our team and how we work together and who we are. Um so and then, you know, do your homework, play it backwards, you know, link to India's uh, personal Instagram, find out a little bit more about her, lurk around, which is exactly right. what I do yes. when I'm working with new clients. It's like, yeah. oh, look, they have a baby. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. very creepy and weird, but it is the way of the future. That's the way the world is. Yeah, totally. I know. It's it's so weird. Uh, I know this is an experience everybody has when you don't really know somebody very well, but you knew they just went on vacation and you know that they just celebrated their kid's third birthday and like, it's just really weird to be able to have those conversations. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great way to kind of cut to the chase because not that, you know, that's everything because, you know, obviously we talk about the highlight reel and that sort of thing, but I also do think it's a a pretty neat tool um, to be able to kind of understand someone's life pretty quickly. And I think it, it used to be kind of a shameful, like, Oh yeah, I've stalked them on Instagram, mm-hmm. and people are, and now it's like, oh, if you don't, yeah, exactly. Like, like, what are you doing? You didn't do your homework. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I think we um, we're very cognizant of that, especially being people who deal in media. Yeah. You know, when we talk to people, it's like if they're not aware of what we've done, 
they are not paying attention. Right. And if they're not paying attention, they are not going to fit. Right. So it's like that kind of awareness is super important. Yeah. And we, we can ID that right off the bat. It's like, oh, they have no idea what we do. Yeah. Why would you just, I don't know. Well, I know why. Because people like, you know, just are looking for jobs and right. like casting everywhere. But I think like what we look for is really thoughtful people who go the extra mile and, you know, are creative in other ways than ones that are ways that are conventional. Yes, absolutely. So once you have a client come on board, how do you set expectations and lay parameters for those relationships? We are, we've been very organic about that in the past. And it's just, you know, laying out, having a lot of conversations up front, but we've got a new onboarding process that Katie put in place. Katie is all about systems and it is fabulous. So she has created a document where it's kind of like, you know, some very practical things. How do you prefer to be contacted? What is your contact? You know, that kind of information. But also, when's your birthday? What's your favorite ice cream? You know, things right. that will help us be, um, <laughs> I don't know, a better partner to yeah. them. But I do, I feel like the thinking of these as these clients as partners too is really important because working together to to make growth happen is very important. But Absolutely. we're still evolving that. I think it yeah. just, and it depends on every client. I mean, some of our clients are, we have we work with an international beauty brand, Erna Laszlo, and our relationship with them is obviously largely 99.5% email-based. Right. And, or phone-based. And, you know, Corey works on that account, and she and Katie will go to New York occasionally and meet with the, the marketing um, VP. And, but otherwise, it's just... Like our relationship with them is very different than our relationship with Cafe Rose, right. with Julia, because <laughs> right. Julia, besides being a personal friend, is right there. Yeah. And, you know, we can be like, hey, we're coming in. We're going to we need to talk to you about this. Right. And so the parameters are a lot different there. And Absolutely. we can hang out with her. We can go, you know, on a Saturday and go out and hang out in the farm. Right. So which we do. <laughs> yeah. Which is really fun. So it's different for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of that structured yet flexible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, And I think that that's something else, too, that. Um, that I think is really important. You got to have a plan, but if you have a plan, you can deviate from it. Right. And but as long as you have that plan in place, that's the most important thing. Right. Because even if, if there's an, if there's no deviation, you still got to have a plan. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even if for nothing else, just clear communication. Yes. And yeah. Shared expectations. And yeah, exactly. And creating expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, our our proposals are really thorough and like I like to lead with like a a statement of intent which is this is what we this is how we imagine engaging with your company this is how the Callaway can really help you and it basically is supporting all then we list all the things we're going to do for the client like and that's just backing up the statement of intent right right no I like that um, tell us about your relationships with Cherry Bomb and the White Hotel. How did those opportunities come about? Oh, that was so much fun. God, that was fun. So I was with my friend Andrea Eggleston last night. She is a textile designer and um, also the daughter of the, the famed um, photographer um, William Eggleston. Her dad's a pretty famous photographer. And, but he's not known as much for his doodles his, um, or his sketches, drawings, drawings, as were not doodles. That really, <laughs> yeah, that is not a word that is befitting of William Eggleston. <laughs> but um, so 
as a textile designer, she started working with her dad's sketches and creating these beautiful repeats on these luxury high-end textiles. And um, she had had a relationship with the Parisian designer Agnes B in the past. And when she started, when Andrea started her company, she reached out to Agnes in Paris. And um, this is a long way of telling you the story. <laughs> she reached out to Agnes in Paris and they did a collaboration together. So to kick off that collaboration in New York, they did an install at the Wythe Hotel in their retail space. And I knew, I'd stayed at the Wythe in the past and I knew about this retail space. It's like 300 square feet. And um, I was working with, and- Andrew's a dear friend, but she's also was a, is a former client. So I was working with her at the time. So I went up with her for the party and got to know the people at the hotel. And I was like, you know, I've got some clients that might be a good fit here. They were like, why don't you do something? Why don't you do a Nashville pop-up? So that was almost three years, two and a half years ago. And um, it took almost two years, well, it took exactly two years, actually, for Greetings from Nashville to happen. Um, came up with the name about a year after, you know, started talking to them and laying down the groundwork and figuring out what it looked like. And then finally we're like, okay, this is when we're going to do it. We we took over the space in this, the hotel is in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, the Wythe. Um, it's this beautiful old grain factory and um, we took over this space for the month of October, kicked it off with, I mean, made it very, very Nashville-centric. We had almost 40 Nashville brands represented. It was very much the keep shop model in yeah. that some of the things were exclusive, but it was all about telling the story of Nashville's design scene through this one little space. Um, Bryce McLeod came up and did an art project to kick off. We got um, Nikki Lane, the singer-songwriter who's a good buddy of ours, came up and did several nights of uh, performances. The um, Convention and Visitors Corporation, who we've worked with very closely for years and is a great partner to us, um, helped us with it. So we showed a video, that, I mean, a, a movie that they had made. We premiered that in New York for them. We didn't premiere it, sorry. We showed it for them. And um, then one of the things I really wanted to do was do a project with my friend Carrie Diamond, who I've known since she was the beauty director at Women's Wear Daily in the late 90s. But she, about 10, it was longer than that, it was like almost, no, about 10 years ago, she um, started getting more involved in the food community and um, um, with her former boyfriend, opened three different restaurants in Carroll Gardens. And at the same time doing that, got the concept for Cherry Bomb, which is all about women and food. And, and I always say it's like the, it's the place where food and fashion meet because it's her partner in crime was the um, creative director for one of the, the, um, the visual directors for Harper's Bazaar, where, Katie, where Carrie used to work as well. So it's like driven by this very, um, you know, visual, fashion savvy team, but it's all about figuring out ways to support women in this industry where women have been really underrepresented. So Cherry Bomb launched, God, I don't know, six years or seven years ago. Um, and I don't think I had any idea. I mean, I never doubted Carrie's ability to kick ass, but like I hadn't, did not have any idea what it was going to do. 
and so proud of her, yeah. what she's done. She now, we were talking about it earlier, she's come to Nashville to do this, but she travels all over the country holding seminars and talking to women in each community, women in the food industry, bringing them together to um, to talk about what's happening on the local front and giving them a voice. So having her here was really special. But going back to the wife, I knew that I wanted to do something with Carrie and in New York, and I knew that I wanted to have Cherry Bomb represented in some way. So what I did was um, I flew up four local chefs, no, three local chefs, sorry, Julia Sullivan from Henrietta Red, Julia Jackson from Cafe Rose, and Lokalani Alabanza from um, Hattie Jane's mm-hmm. Creamery, who is now a client, yes. which I'm very excited about. <laughs> so awesome. they cooked with... Um, Christina Leckie, who is the chef at Renard, which is the in-house hotel, in-house um, restaurant at the Wythe, and did this amazing four-course meal. And um, Carrie invited her network, so we had these incredible, some journalists that I knew that I was friendly with, food and fashion people, but also some new influencers that I didn't know. Julia Sherman, who wrote um, Salad for President, was there, and it was really fun to get to know her. Um, yeah, Athena Calderon was there, and I'm a fan of hers, so that was really fun. And then we also brought up, um, well, Andra came up, Andrea Eggleston, because we used her textiles, and Sophie Simmons, who's a buddy of ours, who's a lingerie designer, was there as well, as well as Caroline Randall-Williams, who is a local Nashville-based poet, and, God, she's in everything. I don't know even how to explain her. She just had a ballet that the Nashville um, Ballet put on based on her book, Lucy Negro Redux. And so she read from the book at the dinner, at the end of the dinner, and like brought it, brought the house down. It was amazing. Wow. That is a really long way of telling you that, yeah. No, that's amazing. <laughs> we brought that that element of celebrating the, fema- the, the food scene in Nashville. That was our food programming. Yeah. But it was really, really special. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even realize that Cherry Bomb and I knew you had done something with Cherry Bomb separately and I knew the greetings from Nashville, but how cool how they were integrated. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Really neat. And that just goes to show is like relationships are everything. Oh, it is. It is. It's totally everything. And like, and that's, that's the fun part. Like, you know, so when Carrie wants to come to Nashville, like I can hook her up at Noel and, you know, it becomes a natural relationship for us to work together on those things. And yeah. like, it's, it's been really fun to, to do that with friends. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So moving on to retail and I would just be curious to pick your brain a little bit as being so engaged and involved in the fashion industry, so mm-hmm. many you know, the common headline is retail is dying. Right. What, what do you think is the future of retail? Oh, good. Um, it is very digitally driven. I think that our awareness of what's happening on reta- in retail culture is all going to be, the discovery is going to happen digitally mainly. Because even if you're going into a small community, um, like a new town, you're going to find out about the stores or the designers on Instagram. You know, and I think that it used to be reading magazines, but the new magazine is Instagram. Yep. So you're looking there. Um, but in, just in terms of retail, so we just started working with the mall at Green Hills, which is really a fascinating client because of exactly what you just said. Retail is dead, or, you know, that's the headline. Um, 
talking to them, like when we went in on the first interview, they were like, what do you think our challenges are? And I was like, well, people aren't shopping in malls anymore. And also it's really hard to get to your mall. So like those are the two things that we are dealing with is creating. And I think this applies for small businesses as well as big corporations like the mall at Green Hills is that it's not enough just to have clothes or just to have homewares or just to have records, you know, or um, like Laura Lemon over at Lemon Lane, who, you know, the wellness and beauty store here, I was super concerned, and I told her this before she opened. I was like, I'm really concerned about you being in deep East Nashville. But the way she has managed to, like, build that community is through programming. Yeah. So it's all about creating really interesting ways for people to engage in retail environments that have nothing to do with shopping. Right. But that drive shopping. Yep. That make you shop. You yes. know, because you're there. Right. So it is, it's a lot of psychology. Mm-hmm. But I think that... The only way retail is going to survive is by having an experiential element to it and making, and also then you get into, this is something down the road I'm thinking about, like, what is the evolution of that? Mm -hmm. Because there's only so many like talks you can go to or, you know, free demonstrations. It's like, what is the next element of that? So I think that things are happening. Like we, we read Women's Wear Daily every day to keep up with those trends, what's happening. And what Business of Fashion is a really important resource as well. Just finding out, like, Asia is usually ahead of the tip on things like that. So finding, following what's going on in China and is really interesting. In the yeah. Middle East, too. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Well, uh Maybe because I feel like we could probably spend a half oh, hour yeah. on talking. Oh, about I love that. retail. Yeah. And I'm like, that's my. I love to shop. And like it has as much to do with acquisition. It has even more to do than just acquisition, but more than like it's it's about sociology. It is. It's about figuring out like I like to go in and talk to people. What do people buy? Like what's your best seller and why? Right. You know, what are people looking for when's your busiest time of day? It's really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. No, the whole experience piece of it. And it is cool that you're seeing that in several areas of Nashville. I mean, mm-hmm. even with Uncommon James and the Gulch. Like, yeah. I think that's another example. I know that the Gulch is obviously, you know, brings a lot more tourists and that sort of thing than Deep East, but the area that she is in the Gulch is does not really have much visibility at all. Yeah. And there's not a, like a lot of co-tenancy, you know, mm-hmm. it's because a lot of times in retail, it's been kind of birds of a feather flock together. So mm-hmm. you're going to see a whole strip, mm-hmm. the Abbot Kinney's of the world, but not there. And no. she is doing insane. And I think it's, you know, so much, I think back is to those, you know, the celebrity backing and you see that all over Nashville, whether it's on Broadway with the honky tonks or, you know, those are the brands that are rising to the top. And, you know, I really feel that it's important for these brands that if they're not a celebrity owned brand themselves, Mm -hmm. that they're really thinking strategically about how to partner with celebrities. And, you know, it goes beyond just retail too. I think the restaurant scene here is a good example of that. Um, Folk opening in Cleveland Park. It was really important that Phil Krejcik be the first person to go in over there. Had it been a chef that didn't have the profile that he had, I don't know if that would have made the same impact. And that neighborhood, you know, Sean Brock might not have chosen to go in over there because... He was the canary in the in the mine shaft, you know, exactly. figuring out if people could breathe. And definitely anything he opens, people are going to go to. So. Exactly. And yeah. that's back to that kind of careful curation mm-hmm. and not doing the quick, easy thing, yeah. but taking, it's going to be tough. It's going to 
take a while. It's going to take patience, mm-hmm. but you know, just back to how the Noel did it. And mm-hmm. I think the developers in Cleveland Park or and the landowners over there are being very intentional. Yes. And they're not just settling for the first person that will pay the rent, but the person that will create the buzz. Yeah. And they realize that that creates long-term value. Yeah, totally. And I think it's really interesting. Um, Dickerson Pike is going to become a big player. Yeah. And, you know, you've got Lion Porter's um, Dive Hotel yeah. opening over there, which is going to be so Amazing. cool. I've been yeah. watching that on the Instagrams. Yes. <laughs> but um, my buddy Elliot Kyle, who's a real yeah. estate developer, mm-hmm. you probably know Elliot. Yeah, yeah. he's he's... He's been really good to the Callaway. He's a good partner to us. We work with him. Like, you know, we keep in touch, yeah. find, figuring out what's happening. But I remember this was three years ago. He drove me through Cleveland Park and was like, this is going to be the next space. And I'm like, if you say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, and, I believe you. Yeah. I believe you. And he's you, making yeah, it he's happen. Got it. We're working on the Ray of Hope Church. Yeah, uh, so exactly. So and, cool. And the have, Roxy. So yeah. excited about the Roxy. I mean, that is really an important acquisition and development. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know. Exciting. Yeah. Next frontier. <laughs> I know it is. It's, it's so cool. Um, in your opinion, why has Nashville gained so much notoriety in the public eye? I think like what we were talking about earlier in that it's just, there's a lot of luck involved in it too. There's a lot of just it being the right time. Because I think that like there's this over commercialization of, um, an oversaturation of these towns like New York and LA, which are, you know, the, the big U.S. examples. Um, people got, and also people getting priced out of yeah. it. Like people started looking to these secondary markets like Portland and Austin and Nashville about the same time, which was about 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. And um, just also like with so much media focused on those big centers, there's nothing new. You know, everything's being talked about in ad nauseum. Yeah. And so finding the new frontier is getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, going into the middle part of the country. I get excited about these tertiary cities that get explored, like Indianapolis and St. Louis and um, Phoenix. You know, I love going to Tucson. I've got friends or family there, and it's really fun to go there and see what's happening there. Um, So I I get really excited about those cities. Charlotte is one I think is going to be more and more important. No, I I completely agree. And it's kind of crazy to go to some of those cities now and I feel like there's in some senses, like more opportunity for creative energy because yes. Nashville's getting so expensive. Yes. And especially like in the food and beverage scene. It's mm-hmm. I fear that chains are just gonna like continue to take over and gonna kind of like squash some of the homegrown brands and I go to mm-hmm. other my husband is um, from Tulsa, and so mm-hmm. we spend time yes, there. Tulsa. And it's really incredible, and people yeah. look at me like crazy. And it, it, I think there's some uh, difficulties with getting in and out of there, and they need to fix their airport situation mm-hmm. if they really mm-hmm. want growth. But the create there's such opportunity for the creative scene there because it's such a inexpensive um place to live as well as there is a lot of oil money there and yes. the oil money is being really intentional about investing in the arts and mm-hmm. the restaurant scenes and there's this one guy that's 
basically put a master lease on all of downtown Mm -hmm. and he's subsidizing rent for Mm -hmm. these startups to activate these this downtown district and it's almost it's kind of like a philanthropic move on his part to the city but you know more from a like entrepreneurship angle and it's just been really incredible to spend time there and see the opportunities for people and and a few other cities I think St. Louis is has some mm-hmm. cool stuff going on Kansas City um, mm-hmm. as well I mean yeah, so. Kansas City is Warren Buffett from Tulsa or is it is he from Nebraska I, I think Nebraska yeah yeah, yeah that's Nebraska. right Lincoln yes Lincoln. Lincoln. yeah, yeah. I, has- I get I get Lincoln and Tulsa confused yeah. but I'm sure I'm offending several hundred thousand people <laughs> out there but yeah. no Lincoln's got some cool stuff going yeah. on too we actually have family there too and I haven't been in a few years but spent a Thanksgiving mm-hmm. there and and was impressed I mean they have a yeah. few tech companies that and these these cities really do have the opportunity um, to attract people if they just are intentional about it. Yeah, so. agreed. Um, what for Nashville would you say are some holes, some things that we're still lacking, trends, um, movements? It, I guess it can kind of, you can interpret that question however you like. Hmm, I don't know. I think that... Well, it's it's just a, honestly, it's just a bummer to watch media get squashed everywhere, yeah. you know, and like being having such a romantic love and infatuation with the newspaper business. Like, I got really sad last week when the Tennessean ran the story about like its printing presses going down. You know, like those presses have been rolling for I think over a hundred years, maybe, maybe not that long, but um, yeah, and just. There's really a big hole when it comes to print media here. But I don't know if that's ever gonna be plucked. Right. You know, I think it's it's just the sad thing is like it's just dying. Yeah. And it's so depressing. Yeah. It's so depressing to watch. But I, I don't know. It's like it's just the new evolution. It's we're just seeing it happen. It's um I don't know, it's a bummer to me. Yeah. I get very nostalgic and I'm not that old, you know, yeah. but and I, but it's, I did get to see the last part of that golden age of journalism when it was still, you know, there was still like the the gnarly columnists who drink until five in the morning, then go out and get their scoop and come in and file. Not that like, not to romanticize drinking, but it, it seems to go hand in hand with journalism. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I got to see some really cool things like working in the po- at the Post in the late 90s, which was I mean, when, I, when I started there, we didn't have email. Mm-hmm. And um, all of our research would be from calling Laura in the library and saying, can you bring me uh, all the clips on Donna Karen? And she'd bring out two shoeboxes full of paper. And just how it's evolved, even like before I left there, they were, you know, building out digital that's 15 years ago. And now they have like their main platform is the the website. Yeah. Um, All things have changed. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, What does community look like for you in Nashville? Um... Oh God, it's everything. It is everything I do. It's how I socialize. It's how I run my business. I mean, I have absolutely no work-life balance, zero. And that's fine. It's totally fine because it's, you know, everything I do is um, this brand, this company is my brand and it's my lifestyle. So it's like I went to a dinner party last night and all the people there are people who come to our parties, you know, and that's, that's intentional, yes, I guess, but it's also very natural. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I don't think that 
I, Nashville is all about community yeah. and it's all about these Venn diagrams of communities overlapping. Yeah. And I think that people really believe in helping each other here. Yeah. And that is something that's true and it gets a lot of press, but it's, you know, it's not lip service. It's really true. People yeah. are very, very hospitable and helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people here that are able to do what they're passionate about, creating mm-hmm. this ecosystem where you're not working to live, you're yeah. living to work. And it's exactly. really an incredible thing to see so much passion and be able to see that realized. And it's super disarming to people. Yeah. And like we, one thing in that whole community integration aspect of what we do is um, we often have to tell clients coming in that there's a very Nashville way of working and it has nothing to do with being, you know, telling them what you did in LA or right. telling them, you know, what you can accomplish and who you know in New York. It's it's more about caring about how you're integrating as a community here. Like, I don't know, it's to be really crass. No, it's like people who come in and like the dick sling that happens. It's just, you know, yeah. it's like just people have to kind of move past that and um, realize that people here really do want to help you, but you can't come in and be a jerk and yeah. like be obnoxious. Yeah. Yep, and absolutely. throw your weight around. Right, right. Throw your appendages around. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a nicer way of saying it. Um, so tell us uh, basically what a day in your life looks like. And I'm sure every day is different. But Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's different. God, to, this morning came early. This daylight savings time <laughs> yeah. is killing me. But um, no, I like to get up. And like I said, I before I do anything, I read the New York Times and the Tennessean and then I um I like to to exercise and um, I'm giving you the whole rundown and I'm either work from home or I work here like if I'm writing and I have to keep my head down I like to work from home and I live only a couple of blocks away from work which is very convenient awesome. but um but I like to be in here too to see the girls and we come up with good ideas when we're in the office together but. There are days when, or there are weeks when I won't be here for days because honestly, it's one meeting after the other. And, or it's, you know, a meeting, then getting on a call when you're sitting in the parking lot before you go to another meeting. (laughs) And like my main job is, um, what is it? This is in one of my small business development groups. Like another, another woman who does what I do in PR said that her job description is responsible for nothing, accountable for everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, that's really good. Yeah. So that is kind of like if something messes up, like I'm the one who answers to it. Right. Or I want to be the one who answers to it. Yeah. But um, but that happens so rarely. Yeah. It really does. That team is like insane. They're so good. Um, but I, yeah, we just, we communicate a lot. We email a lot. We text a lot. We try to, um, I try to make sure, like, I know and I fully embrace the fact that I have no work-life balance. They need to. So I make sure or try to make sure that I'm not texting them after 9 p.m. or, you know, that they get the time off they deserve. Like, everybody on our team, you get unlimited vacation. And that just means you just get your work done. Right. And if you, like, Katie was, she was on vacation, like, last week, for several days, but the week before that, she went to Miami for a long weekend and worked for Miami, and right. like, or and then didn't work some for Miami. Right. And I'm like, I know that it's all getting done. Yeah. So I don't care where you do it. Right. You know, I need you around some, but like ultimately, if you need to 
you know, if for your mental health, you need to take a couple of days off, I'm not going to tell you, you can't. Yeah, exactly. And it's, if they're truly passionate about what they're doing, it's like, it just translates and that's what, and then even I would think in what you guys are doing, the almost like the more travel, the better because oh, totally. looking, you know, Miami, no, but many, uh, great trends evolving out of there exactly. as well. So. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, I think that travel is one of the more important parts of what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, um, figuring out how to grow into different communities too, like I would love to concert. We've got a couple of clients in Texas and I, I like the idea of doing what we do down there. Mm-hmm. And so when, like when I go to Dallas for work or when we worked with Laura Lemon to open her Lemon Lane in Houston, I'm like, it's good to go down and know that community yeah. and be involved with those people and Absolutely. figure out where the holes are there. Yeah, for sure. So I know we're running up on time, but just have one more question for you. Any advice that you would give listeners who want to make a living in the creative world or start their own venture in Nashville? Mm, make sure it is something that you are passionate about. And I think that that's the main thing. It's like there's a lot of people who will jump on a trend and just because they see other people reacting to somebody who did it first, they'll, I mean, that's just human nature. It's how, you know, fashion trends start. It's how interior trends start. It's how music trends start. But it's like make sure it's authentic to who you are um, because there's enough people... I don't know. There's like, I I just think about Imogene and Willie, how after they opened all of a sudden there was a lot of raw wood floor and white walls and, you know, people's, the aesthetic changed based on what they saw was cool. And like, I I think that there were brands that adopted that, that didn't really have the, um, it wasn't authentic to them. Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense to the style. And that's happened too with this millennial pink thing. You know, it's like you walk into some stores, I'm like, why would they do this? Yeah just doesn't make sense right so it's like aesthetics I I read a lot through aesthetics and like I think there's that's how people obviously are expressing what they're doing but but ultimately it's like if you believe in it and love it it's going to be successful I think because there's enough people here who recognize that authenticity in people and that really that willingness to work really hard I think that's the other thing too it's like just got to work hard yeah like there is, and we've got a lot of people who come to us who really want us to do all the work for them. And we will only work as hard as the people we work with. Mm-hmm. And no, we work, we work very, very hard, but like we only want to work with people who will work as hard as mm-hmm. we work. Right, right. So. Exactly. Yeah. If the passion, if your passion for their brand starts outpacing theirs. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And but like I'm there's, sure there's, happens. yeah, there's a couple of things like the, and looking for clients, it's like, we've got to have, they've got to have a great Great story, a great product. They've got to be solid people, and they've got to work as hard as we do. Yeah. So those are my four criteria, really. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It oh, was, thank you so much. It's been really fun. Yeah, it was great to have you and um, learned a lot and look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, totally. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Of course. Please reach out to share your experiences with us by emailing newinnashvillepodcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list and access our social media at www.newinnashvillepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review and subscribe on iTunes and refer our podcast to a friend today. 
Thank you to Jared Anderson of Evergreen Productions for producing and engineering our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The music in this episode is provided by Carrie Ann Larson. She is a singer-songwriter who strives to write songs that people hear their own stories in. You can find her music, including her latest single, Fairweather Friend, on all digital platforms. Thank you.